Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of Real Early. My name is Larry Sternshine and on today's show I talk with Matt Bledsoe, host of the Film Feast podcast. Matt was a guest I've wanted to have for a while because his show was one of the first podcasts that I listened to and immediately thought how much I wanted to be a guest on his show. So this was a pleasure to invite him onto mine. We talk a lot about his path that led him to starting his podcast, how his father's penchant for recording movies of television inspired him to watch films, and the many filmmakers that changed the way he looked at cinema. All that and a discussion on his four and a half star rating of Jaws. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Matt, we're back. Uh, I'm here with Matt Bledsoe of Film Feast Podcast. What's going on, man? Uh, hey, Larry, how's it going? I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, I've always wanted to talk to you, and I'm glad that we got a chance to make it work out. So I'm very excited about this. Yeah, because I, I feel like we've been following each other on Twitter for quite some time. So it's nice to actually like talk to you. It's always nice to make those connections to people you know online to actually speak to them. You know, so uh, it's always exciting. Well, truth be told, one of the reasons why I do this show is just for these particular situations. You know, because mm-hmm. what better opportunity to be like, hey, let's record a show and then also have a chance to talk. So I feel like I made the right choice on doing this. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the part of the reason I do my podcast, honestly, just to talk to you about movies, because no one in my normal life wants to talk that much about movies. <laughs> oh, you have that situation where like most of your friends aren't movie geeks and you have your online movie geeks and that's who you spend most of the time talking to movies with. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people in my normal life who will talk about movies, but like not to the degree that I want to like dive in to talk about movies. <laughs> so um yeah, it's a whole different like level. I'm talking to all the people we know online, people we podcast with. Yeah, that is a situation similar here where I do have some movie friends, but like, like I'm married with no kids. I have a friend who's also really into movies, who, who does movie podcasts and all that kind of stuff, but he's got kids, so we don't really get a chance to hang out as much. So that's why I like the Zooming and all those good things. So we could at least mm-hmm. have that interaction for the stuff that we love that we might not always get in person, but when we do get in person with our friends, it's also awesome. So movies do bring people together. (laughs) This is true. It is exciting to meet somebody in person who wants to talk like about something uh, kind of outside of the mainstream or they want to dive a little deeper. They're like, Oh, did you ever see uh, I don't know, like a John Woo movie from the Hong Kong. I'm like, uh-huh, let's talk about it. You know, I'm like, like, who are you? Normal person who knows about uh, that kind of stuff. When you started Film Feast, what time period were we at? Like, was this started we, around the pandemic time? Oh, yes, it was. It's, it's really a pandemic project because it started the tail end of September 2020. Because um, I had been doing, I, I count myself lucky because I was doing pretty well, like, during, you know, COVID, I felt like, because I kept my job, I was working remote. Um, I could still, I feel like I was still getting enough like social interaction through like phone calls and uh, zoom calls. And like my mom and stepdad are both retired and I was working at home, not seeing anybody. They were staying home. It seemed so I could go over to see them. I felt like, cause we weren't seeing anyone. <laughs> so we're just seeing each other. So I, I felt like I was pretty lucky, but there came a point. Um, I don't know, like later in the, like, like six months in about the time I started the podcast where I'm like, man, I'm kind of, I'm feeling kind of antsy. I need like a project. Or I need something to do. Um, and I kicked around the podcast idea for a very long time because I 
had like an Instagram. I still have the Instagram uh, profile that I, I guess is kind of pop. I, say, weird, I feel weird saying popular, but it was like I had a good amount of followers, like 3000 ish followers on Instagram over a few, a few years. And I thought I could probably spring a podcast from this and talk about movies. Um, and then it so happens that our friend Daniel Epler had his cobwebs pod- podcast and invited me on out of the blue because I think we we never really talked besides just some stuff on Twitter. And he just gave me a shot in the dark. He was like, hey, do you want to call on cop? Let's talk about, you know, some movies. So I was like, sure. And uh, and I told him, it was like, oh, I'm kicking around this idea of this film feast podcast. And he goes, I think you should do it. I want to listen. And that like that was the last thing I needed to hear to just do it. Um, and I just have been going ever since. Yeah, like September 2020, going strong. I find the movie podcast community is actually very... Um very nice and very encouraging of other people starting their own shows. Cause I had that very similar experience with like Rob Antiquera was like, you got to come on my show. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, you got to do it. It'll be great. And I did it and I loved it. And I just got some other opportunities. And anytime I would say, you know what, maybe I should do my own thing. Everyone's like, yeah, go for it. And I was like, I really appreciate that about the movie podcast community. I, I hope it's the same with other communities in podcasting, but I have the movie experience one and it's been very nice. Have you found that to be the case in your situation as well? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is super nice. Very welcoming. I feel like we continue to try to do that. I feel like we've kind of built like a little uh, community of um, like our podcasts are all kind of connected because we all talk to each other and our guests on each other's podcasts and, um, and everyone's very nice. I feel like, and uh, yeah, very encouraging. I feel like anytime anyone's been like, I don't want to start a podcast. Everyone's like, yeah, go for it. Cause at the end of the day, I think we're all just doing this for, for fun. You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, it's yeah, there's not for... a whole lot of money in it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So many people in my real life, I found out a podcast, like you make any money off that. I'm like, no, no, I'm not I'm actively, I'm actively losing money because I pay for zoom and Podbean. Uh, so it's a hobby. It's a hobby I pay for. Honestly, it's like how my, my buddy goes rock climbing. He pays for the membership fee. I pay to podcast, you know, it's like, this is my hobby that I do is like talk movies with people. So, um, but yeah, we're very lucky. We have a very nice like community of people and everyone's been really cool. I can't really think of it. I mean, if anyone's not cool, they usually get like kind of exiled, <laughs> but I can't even think of like a time that's happened. Everyone's always pretty cool and nice. So um, yeah, it's it's a very nice uh, thing we have going. What was the impetus of calling your podcast Film Feast? Because I when I first listened, I was expecting some sort of food component for some reason. <laughs> and there was no food. It was just a lot of awesome movie talk so what, what was the genesis behind the name uh you know i it's funny i think the person that also brings up all the time is chris Tortado, who I, he's been on my show and he's friends with daniel upler they know each other in real life and he's always joking like you need to do like a food episode it's film feast i'm like i know i know um it came from the instagram page because the instagram page went through like two or three different names and i finally landed on film feast i think because i'm just a big fan of alliteration and i was like i was like you know, trying to movie or film or cinema. And I was just working through a bunch of titles and like film feast just came out and kind of like rolled off the tongue. And I was like, Oh, film feast. Uh, it does feel there should be some kind of food component. And maybe one day we will still do like a, like a food related episode. But uh, yeah, it just mostly came down to like me trying to kick around names and um, just landing on that. Honestly, there's not much more to it. <laughs> you should do an episode where you talk to people about what candy they eat and what kind of foods they eat during a movie. And then, you know, that'd be like a fun, we could do like a survey. It'd be great. 
That's should. Right. I mean, I should ask people that anytime they come on, be like, "What's your go-to movie snack?" That should be one of like the uh, first times. If or if I've asked before, ask them what their favorite movie snack is, because everyone I feel like has a different response. It's it's like it's hardly ever just popcorn. It's like it's like popcorn, but I dump like Mike and Ike's in there, or it's like I need cookie dough bites or Junior Mints, or you know, it's like so. so what's what's um, your go-to candy then, or go-to oh, popcorn? What do you do? I, it's funny because <laughs> I say that I am the guy that gets like popcorn and soda um occasionally i will uh switch it up and get like bunch of crunch i love bunch of crunch um but that's usually it it's, i'm very standard i'm the guy that does get like popcorn and a soda uh or occasionally candy like bunch of crunch but that's that's it I, when i was a kid i loved I, that was a real example i love dumping like mike and ike's into a in popcorn the the, the textures and tastes go well together <laughs> i oh, swear no. it's a, that's give it a shot i never thought yeah. about doing like a combo <laughs> When when you get popcorn, what are you doing? Are you uh, putting butter on there? Like, what's what's? Do you have like a ritual with your popcorn? <laughs> yeah, I get I uh I because a couple of the okay, so I go to a couple different theaters around me, and the only one that lets you like self serve the butter is my local AMC, and I love that because I feel like when you go to like the Regal, they do it back behind the counter, and they don't ever give you enough. They feel like they're too light on the butter, so <laughs> I go kind of a fiend for the. Uh, the the butter at the AMC it probably should take it away from me and so I I'm like I I try to you know coat it as much as I can I'm getting in the cracks and the crevices um that imitation butter I swear I'm it's like I'm sure it's not good for you at all but I'm uh, I love it I don't know so I I'm always getting my cherry vanilla Coke um from the like Coke freestyle machine and I'm getting my popcorn with like extra butter on it I do popcorn with really no butter on it if i had my choice just because i feel like my hands get a little too greasy or buttery but my wife when we go to theaters the way she does it is you get the bucket halfway then you put the butter in and then you give it back to them to put the rest of the popcorn and then you put more butter in and then you just douse it in in salt (laughs) so it's just it's a it's a good popcorn but it's it's a lot yeah, <laughs> probably good. I don't eat it too often. It's, it's not good for me, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no. And I heard people like, if you eat a lot of popcorn, it can be bad. But like, I don't go to the movie theaters that much and I don't eat popcorn mostly at home. <laughs> but uh, my go to candy, by the way, in case you wanted to know, was peanut MMs. Those are my uh, favorite candies. Okay. I, I mean, a lot of people I know love peanut M&M's. I, I think I, I'm weird because I'm just like a plain M&M guy. I don't need peanut M&M's. Just give me plain M&M's. And you know what it always, is? You yeah. like the classics. I d- apparently I do. Yeah, I didn't realize So we were talking about it. People always like, you don't like, it's not that I don't like peanut M&M's. I just don't need them. I'm like, just give me plain M&M's. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, just plain's fine. So I do, I guess I like the classics is, is right. Yeah. Well, it, that's put you on a spot or anything, but it does remind <laughs> me that Right now, you're getting a lot of grief for some reason because you don't give Jaws five stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, a lot of heat come my way. Uh, for... <laughs> I, okay, it's so, so funny to me. It's four and a half versus five, which is basically the same. <laughs> yes. Thank rate. you, Larry. I agree. I, I And plus, four and a half with a heart on letterbox. That heart goes a long way for me. It carries a lot of weight. Um, I think I even made the argument that, like, in my mind four and a half and five are it's to me like virtually the same but a five-star movie for me has an extra like personal relevance or it just is like 
blew me away that much like that it's five stars but like four and a half is essentially me saying like yes great movie masterpiece i just don't have a uh personal connection to it or sometimes there's like some nitpicky things but like yeah with jaws i tried to argue i'm like guys i really like jaws um i think it's amazing i just have no like personal tie to it and i came to it i mentioned i came to it way late um took me a long time they, they should be happy to get four and a half stars because i came to it way late and didn't like it at first and warmed up to it over the years and it keeps going up and up and up in my estimation and it's gotten uh it's it's risen to the four and a half stars. It may rise to five stars one day. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I know I'm getting a lot of heat for this. Um, I, I just I people love Jaws. This is why I've always been scared to say for years before this. I was like, I don't love Jaws. I because I thought I would get my head bitten off. And it, clearly, it's okay. It's okay. okay. Don't worry Thank about you. it because it's funny too. Because Jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time. Because it uh, when I was a kid, it was a really important movie for me. So when you were mentioning how you gave it five, five, four and a half and not five due to that personal <laughs> connection, I was like, you know what? We both know that it is a great movie. I just happen to give it five stars just because it has a meaning to me versus you also know it's a great movie, but you know it's a great movie, but it's not like a one that from your childhood, <laughs> right? See, so yes, yeah. I, I'm with you. I don't, I think people should, should relax on this one. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the people doing it are friends of mine who I podcast it with. Uh, it's not like it's random strangers. That would make me. That would make me upset <laughs> if it was like random people. But, but what's um, funny though is a couple of things about Letterbox which makes me laugh. Is one, uh, you ever search for the one star reviews of classic movies? Oof, I, I've it's, done that. It's very uh, upsetting. <laughs> it's very upsetting. So the, uh, the people who hate Jaws, I just want to just, I just, oh, so mad. <laughs> that. Um, I, yeah. It's like if you want to make yourself angry, go to a movie you absolutely love and go to the half star, one star reviews and just prepare to get very upset. <laughs> like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And usually it's like for the dumbest reason. Somebody will be like, eh, I got bored. I didn't even finish it. And it's like, can you even finish it? You know, it's like or something stupid. Like, you know, it's I, it's just oh, it's like sometimes it's the worst. But um, yeah, I really like y'all. So you got to go talk to James uh, <laughs> and maybe Daniel a little bit and tell them to back up. <laughs> The the other funny thing about Letterbox too is I give movies four and a half stars only because I think to myself, I've given too many five star movies lately. So I need to like cut <laughs> back a little bit and I'll do that four and a half. So it's kind of Yeah, isn't that funny? Sometimes like you look at your letterbox ratings, you're like, I've been giving out too much of the same ratings. I gotta change it. Even if like you legitimately, you know, believe in the ratings and you didn't even think about it, but you look back, you're like, wow, I've been giving out a lot of five stars lately i i've got the same thing where i'm like i've been doing too much i will almost intentionally go watch something i know won't be that good to change something. i'm like i gotta go watch like a mediocre movie to, fi- right. to fix this i i think that if, if you're a letterbox person and your reviews look kind of like a pyramid i feel like you're doing the things right <laughs> you yeah, know it's yeah. like sure some movies are bad some movies are good but mostly they're just three-star movies yeah most movies are just good or fine or you know it's like yeah. uh most are not amazing so i'm i'm with you on that too i think most movies are just in the middle you know so what uh since we're on the subject then what is your letterbox account so somebody can go right now and just follow you <laughs> and get mad at rachel's four to five stars um okay let me i always forget because i changed it oh it's just the same thing as my twitter handle which is uh matt bled 87 uh, and uh, I'll, <clears throat> i always link to everything as well so 
people will be able to to find find you and like your four and a half draws review. <laughs> the funny thing, I don't think I wrote a review, but uh, I just gave it the four and a half stars and and got out because I didn't want the heat on the review. <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty active on Letterbox. So yeah, the Map Lady Seven is where you could find me if you want to follow me for I guess more hot takes question mark. <laughs> so yeah, definitely question mark because you know I, I don't. I don't know. One 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 person's hot take is another person's correct statement. You know what I mean? But well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's all it's all opinions. It's all it's all uh, subject, uh, especially movies, or you know, very much how you saw them, uh, the memory of seeing them. Like, um, I mean, great example of a movie I gave five stars to that I think objectively it's not a five star movie, but to me it is, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Last Action Hero. I've gone to bat for many times and it's like a beloved movie to me, but I have very fond memories of that movie. I do still love it, but uh, I understand my nostalgia is making me get the movie five stars. (laughs) Like, I don't think it is a perfect technical Marvel filmmaking or anything. I just, uh, but I do love it, but um, that's me being, you know, subjective on my, my ratings. So. I think that is the same with me with a lot of, if you look at my five-star movies, I mean, they're, in my opinion, they're all great movies to me, but like, they're not like listed in the top hundred movies of all time, but they were movies that meant something to me, whether it was growing up or whatnot, you know? So I I think you can learn a lot about a person's five-star reviews more than their one-star reviews, I think. That's true. I agree. I agree. All right, so you've been a movie fan for a long time. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up <laughs> the same place I live now, actually. Uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, which is literally right next door to Virginia Beach. People, Norfolk, Virginia, where the giant, like the world's largest naval base is, I believe. Um, those are the cities people I feel like know more than Chesapeake, but I'm right in there, Hampton Roads area. Um, I've been here my whole life, really. We, I was born in Florida, but it was only there for two years my parents moved up here and i've been here ever since i I really like it so i have no i've had no desire to leave honestly i have never been to virginia but people say it's very nice out there yeah especially this area i recommend it to people the virginia beach uh, area there's a lot to do there's a lot of good stuff going on i mean uh, yeah it's like people around here give it a bad rap but we have a lot of like people that are forced to come here because a big military town and they're like i don't like it here but (laughs) i don't know i like it i think it's a nice variety of stuff to do so so what was the major decade that you grew up in? Were you a, an 80s kid or 90s kid? I was born in 87, so okay. I don't remember any of the 80s. So, okay. I mean, I, I mean, definitely the 90s and into the 2000s. Like my, but my real like movie uh, love started in the 2000s. But I mean, I, you know, the 90s when I start remembering and things and having a movie going experiences and all kind of stuff but yeah move the 90s and early 2000s i would say did you guys have uh cable or anything like that growing up we did we had cable uh we had a lot of uh tapes with a lot of vhs tapes because my dad <laughs> was like uh i worried that my mom and dad were gonna get like, arrested by the fbi because i'd see the fbi warning at the beginning of every videotape and like if you if you record this or copy it you're gonna get fined and arrested or something and we had like a whole front closet 
um, full of videotapes that uh, my dad had like recorded off TV or like I think copied from video rentals because he had like a whole setup with like we had like two VCRs. We had a a separate VHS rewinder, like the just the just to rewind the tapes, which I feel like was uh, extra. You know, it's like who needs this? But um, so we had a lot of ta- movies on tapes in my house um, and cable. So I was a very much a uh, TV, like a screen kid. I felt like we, like, I was in Dorsey, I would say. <laughs> were, so were your parents really big movie fans? Or is it just my dad, sort of, yeah. My dad was. My mom is a very casual movie watcher. <laughs> like, she goes to the movies, like, twice a year and goes and sees stuff like 80 for Brady or, like, Book Club now. And it's like, that was cute. Like, you know, she's not very, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't take it as seriously as I did. But, uh, I mean, my dad was the one who was recording all the movies off TV and off tapes and um, I he I think I've mentioned this on my show many times that he passed when I was very young. I was six. Um, but yeah, he definitely uh instilled that like love of movies to me from a very young age. The tapes that you, that he had recorded on were they popular movies? Did he also just record like all sorts of genres and whatnot? <laughs> he I, I feel like we had a little bit of everything. Um. I can still in my head see like combined like tapes that were combined of random movies. Like, um, although I think he must've been kind of um, uh, organized about it because there was a lot of times where the, the original was with the sequel. Like I specifically remember alien being with aliens on one tape. And I remember house and house Two, the horror movies being on one tape. And some, I told the story recently on my podcast, I think that for some reason in my head, I got it in my head that house and house Two were like the scariest horror movies of all time. And I don't know if someone told me that or like I I saw something and I remember that tape being like, I'm never watching that the tape with house on it. It's the scariest thing ever. And it's a it's a very goofy horror movie. <laughs> but um so all kinds of stuff like that. I mean we just had like uh, tons of stuff. I can still see the labels the label maker was like a dark red, white letters, like it labeled everything. Um it just a lot of everything, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, he was very hardcore about the labeling, it sounds like. Because I, when I was growing up, my mom was the one who recorded all the VHS tapes. And she, like, hand-wrote everything. Because they'd come with their little labels. But if he's doing, mm-hmm. like, a label maker, like, he was, he sounds like he was pretty serious. <laughs> serious business. Yeah, I think it was, funny because I remember the tapes being, like, stacked up in the front closet. Like, maybe there was no space. But the late, definitely that label maker. We had that label maker for a long time. And it was, like, it felt like every tape had been labeled at some point so i was pretty organized i would say yeah <laughs> when you were growing up um were you just randomly grabbing tapes after a while or like what did because you talk about like the 2000s being when you really started getting into movies what what was that shift personally where you were like i think movies are neat to i love <laughs> movies that's a, yeah, that's a good question um <laughs> so i i definitely always liked movies in general like going to the movies and watching movies um in the when i was a little kid growing up uh and i feel like the shift started to happen late 90s into the 2000s i'm like a tween becoming a teenager like a like 11 12 and i remember really wanting to watch uh siskel and ebert a lot on TV, which I feel like people thought was odd uh, that a child wanted to watch Siskel and Ebert. I don't know. But then I hear a lot of people now who were like, I love Siskel and Ebert as a kid. Uh, I remember wanting to watch their stuff for movie reviews. And 
I feel like the shift really started to happen. One thing I remember is like, it's a funny story I think I told before, but um, Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000. Uh, John Woo directed. And I thought that was like one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. So um, I remember being really into for some reason, like the box office of that movie. Like I remember watching like entertainment tonight and being like, how much money did mission impossible to make? Like it was a sporting event and being like, yeah. And uh, I think it was like the combination of that movie directed by John Woo, because he'd made some other movies. I couldn't see like face off and broken arrow because I was too young. So rated R, but mission impossible two was PG 13. And I could see that. And I feel like that movie, the matrix the year before 99, Blade the year before that in 98 it was like uh, those kind of movies were like just so cool to me. I was like, I think I started to get into like, how are these made? Who directs them? I remember the John Woo thing with Impossible 2 being like, I have to know <laughs> the guy who made Mission Impossible 2. And then I start going online and finding out like he made his other movies in Hong Kong that are like that sound super cool and these really influential action movies, but I have no access to them because it's the early 2000s and I'm, you know, 13, 14 years old and I barely know how to use the internet, uh, to, especially to buy things. I have no credit card. So I feel like I just, I can't, I can't get them and it's like driving me nuts. So um, then it spiraled and I feel like, like two years later, I saw, and this is a very generic, like 30 something film person thing, but I saw Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and was like, oh my god, this Tarantino guy, he's so great, uh, and he <laughs> and he worked at a video store, and it all sounds so easy to get into Hollywood, and I feel like that was really just completely lit the fuse, and then I was like, oh, I want to make movies, like, I want to be, like, involved somehow in movies, trying movies, or making movies, something, because um, it all just kind of spiraled out from there specifically. It was already a building to that point, and then the Tarantino thing, like, really sent me over the edge, I think. <laughs> It's funny because you're talking about how like Mission Impossible was like this big thing for you, Mission Impossible 2 for John Woo and everything. In the year 2000, I'm a, like a junior in college at this point. Oh. <laughs> and you're like talking about being like 13, like, man, I feel old. But what's interesting <laughs> is then you bring up the Tarantino thing. And I was like, that was the same thing for me. Like when I first saw Reservoir Dogs, it was just sort of like a light bulb went off. Like I, I've always been a big huge movie fan but that was when it was just sort of like when i uh upgraded like i mm -hmm. my character got upgraded to a, a movie <laughs> geek now yes from those movies <laughs> so like even though like i'm older than you like we have a very similar experience when you for and it's probably the same for a lot of people even now i bet you like a younger person might see reservoir dogs and be like holy shit this thing is unreal that pulp fiction comes after that or vice versa it's just got to be like a game changing for a lot of people. So I don't feel as old now. So I appreciate you telling me that story basically. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he, he, it's funny. Yeah. Cause he, he busts out like 10 years before that. This is like Oh two. So he comes out reservoir dogs and Pulp Fiction. And then like, but it's still, I know a lot of people my age at the time were still finding him. Um, and yeah, cause that was right before kill bill came out and it was like a huge gap, like six year gap between Jackie Brown and kill bill. And, uh, yeah, I just remember being so hyped for Kill Bill because I'd gotten into his stuff the year before and was like, oh, my God, like I need more. <laughs> Said, yeah, I don't know. He just seems to transcend uh, the movie going generations, I, th I think. And I'm not sure I'm not as keyed in, but I think that's still happening with younger people now. It's like he's still 
like one of the guys, you know, because he's still making movies, obviously. And like um, people still get into him like that, because I just think his story is so good. I mean, it's very hard to replicate to be like, I was a movie geek or to the movie store and I started writing scripts and I got make movies like doesn't happen a lot, you know. <laughs> so um, and I think his movies, um, he gets a lot of flack for the movies being he's so referential and makes so many movie references other things but like it's nice for someone like me getting into movies at that time that he's so open about what his references are because it led me to so many different things like it re- led me to more to more john woo movies um it led me to like stuff like goddard and melville and uh, these older some other crime movies and he's just he wears the influence on his sleeve which i think helps because it's kind of like lead you in different paths as like a budding <laughs> uh movie buff it's like a nice like starter place for you <laughs> His movies almost feel like their own video store and like a video store yeah. come to life is a Tarantino movie. Yes. And it's like, he's walking down the aisle being like, here's this, here's this, like <laughs> pointing you like, this is what this is. And like, I, it, it bothers some people. I don't mind it. I, I think it's what he takes the things. Um, I mean, sometimes he just outright just takes things, but it's like, it's always, it's mostly things that most people at that, especially at that time, I never even heard of. They're like, what are you referencing? You know? Um, and he gives credit. I mean, it's not like he, you know, and like it just, but he makes it his own thing, I think has always been the the deal. And uh, yeah, I just think that he's, he's taken old things or old references and put them into his movies and makes it feel fresh. And I think the longer he's gone on, the more he's just kind of like influencing himself. I mean, he still pulls from older movies, but um, I think he's got a lot better as a filmmaker. Um, it's always been a great writer, but I think his filmmaking's got a lot better. And I think he's just more comfortable, like just kind of doing his own Tarantino thing. <laughs> so um, he's a great like gateway for people to get into movie buffs, to young movies to get into movies really, I feel like, cause he just opens up so many doors to other things. He's like, I like this and this and this, and then go check them out. So um, it is kind of that video store clerk mentality of like, you should check out this and this and this, you know? Speaking of video stores, what were the video stores that you went to growing up? Um, yeah, we <laughs> we're, I, we weren't trying to be cool, but I felt like my family was constantly going to like the little mom and pop shops and we kept bouncing between different ones. Like um, we we did not want to go to Blockbuster. Like I remember we were all like adamantly opposed to going to Blockbuster because it's funny. I don't like to rent people's parade because I know a lot of people, they, they only had Blockbuster as their video store and they have fond memories of Blockbuster. But even growing up, in my town, which is not like a small town, it got it's gotten a lot bigger since like the 90s. But um, everybody I knew hated Blockbuster. They, they were like the evil empire. Like nobody wanted to go there. Uh, their late fees were ludicrous. They didn't have the greatest selection. So we were like always anti-Blockbuster. We went to a place called Movie Time a lot as a kid. Where I remember we could like get points. And my sister wanted like an Adams Family poster. And I can't remember what I got. But like you could build up points to get things in the store. Um, we went to a place called Movies, like with a cow logo, and it had like three O's in the name. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, loved movies. And then they became like video update. And then we ended up going to like, when everybody else had gone down around us, we went to Hollywood Video, which was literally right across the street from Blockbuster. Um, loved Hollywood Video, actually. I thought they like had a good selection. I wanted to work there so bad. They wouldn't hire me. I had like just turned like, 15 or 16 and I maybe they had some people applying I don't know but like I want to work at a video store so bad I think because I was like I'll be Tarantino if I work at a video store <laughs> but um yeah I went to Howard Video and then they finally went under 
And then literally the last game in town is Blockbuster. And I feel like I went there a couple times near the end, but I was like, oh, still hate Blockbuster. And then they finally they, all, they went under and that was more video stores. But um, but yeah, we, we jumped around to so many different mom and pop shops as a kid. Um, and yeah, I, man, I miss video stores so much. <laughs> I miss video stores too. I'm lucky enough where there's actually an the archive, which is with uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, has a store right by me. But for like the longest time, there was nowhere I could go to buy stuff. So I'm I'm always just like, man, I just want to go rent a movie. Like I don't want to go online. I want to look at the boxes. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the best part about going to theaters for the oh. boxes. Yeah, I know. I loved just walking the aisles and like picking up random stuff and like, oh, this looks weird. Let me check this out. Um, I mean, Redbox is still around, but that's not as fun because you just get a disc out of a machine. <laughs> and, and the selection I, is just whatever's current. Basically. Oh, yeah. The selection's not great. Um, I did recently go to my local public library. And yes. I'm, I guess I, I should count myself lucky because we have a lot of branches and we have the one main branch is really close to me. And I thought they have like a pretty nice size selection. It's like kind of a mini video store and they have very random stuff. Like, and, um, but a lot of good stuff. Like, I, I was surprised how many Criterion discs were in there last time I was there. Um, they do tend to have way more DVDs and Blu-rays, but they have a good amount of Blu-rays. But uh, I was like, man, I got to come to the public library more often just for the experience of, like, walking the aisles and picking movies up off the shelf. Like, um, because libraries are great. I mean, they're, uh, they're, you know, it's like support your local libraries. But uh, uh, that's the closest I can get now to the video store experience is the library. <laughs> I think the library is something that's very underrated that people tend to forget about. Uh, my whole life, I've been going to the library to kind of rent movies. When I was a kid, that's where I used to get a lot of my VHS. I'd go to the library with my dad and we get movies. And just to kind of go back to what we talked about earlier, to kind of explain more, Jaws was a movie I would rent a lot from the library. And I would only be able to finish it every other time I watched the movie because one day I'd be like, I'm going to be brave and watch this whole movie. And I would watch the whole movie and be fine. And then the next time I'm like, I can't. The shark's going to get me in the pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> but getting, yeah, but yeah. just all those memories of just looking at the VHS and getting like War of the Worlds and Disney movies with the giant boxes they used to have. Mm -hmm. uh, the library is, is still going strong. So I think people need to patron the library more and appreciate what the library offers. because. You could get movies for free essentially and rent them. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a great service that they offer. Like, I mean, and then, and then there's even, uh, if you're lucky enough, your city is has access to Canopy, uh, like for mm -hmm. free streaming from the library. But yeah, the library, I mean, it's great, it's free movies. It's like, and I mean, I don't know about your local library, I've mine, I feel like the limit you can you could rent like if you wanted to, like. 20 movies at a time or something for three weeks. Like it's like you have a huge, like for a huge time to watch all these movies. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Uh, so I guess that's my substitute for the local video store. <laughs> yeah. we we do have Hoopla and Canopy. Like we have access okay. to both of those. And what's cool about Hoopla is a lot of times we'll have newer movies on there that had just come out on video. And I'm talking about like the direct to video action movies that I love. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to see kind of this stuff, you know, for free with the library. Um, hopefully studios look at that kind of stuff and go, we should make more of these movies because at least the library is buying them. Because <laughs> I want more direct-to-video movies. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. I know Disney's been talking recently about, like, 
oh, we should put out more stuff on physical to make money. I'm like, yeah, no, sh- no shit, guys. <laughs> like, it does seem uh, like it's turning around a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they realize that uh, streaming is kind of a, I don't know, money pit might be the wrong word, but it's like, it's not a great way to, I think, make money. You've got to keep increasing your subscriber count. And there's only so many people out there who want to subscribe to your service. So eventually you hit like, you hit a ceiling, I feel like. And, you know, it's like, so, but the physical media, you keep releasing that, like, and people actually own it. And Disney's always been, I mean, they've always sold a lot of movies. Like, I feel like you go to anybody's house as a kid in the 90s, obviously a different time, but uh, everybody had Disney tapes everywhere. So I feel like if anybody can do it, it's Disney because their stuff's still very popular. And they have all the Fox stuff. And I want That's some true. Fox stuff on Blu-ray. That's very true. They uh they gotta get on that because I feel like it's too many, there's too many Fox titles that are like left on like out of print DVDs or not even made it, you know, they're on like VHS or something, you know, like so they have a whole library they can mine there that I hope they eventually figure out like, oh, we can make money off this. Right, right. We should probably use these. <laughs> So did you think about going to film school after watching Tarantino movies? Was that like your plan at all? Oh, that well, that happened for one semester, as I always joke. Really? About. That was, yes. I, oh, uh, yeah. I, you know, what's funny is uh, I listen to so many podcasts. I forgot you talked about that. Tell us more about <laughs> your experience. Well, that's OK. No, I. Uh, it, yeah, I, I. Oh, that reminds me. One of my old Instagram names before Film Feast was like film school dropout or something <laughs> like uh, because. Yeah, I I went because I was like, I want to make movies. And I remember a guidance counselor in high school saying, like, well, there's nowhere in this state that has a program. You better go out of state. And I found out years later, oh, no, that guy lied to me. There's or he was this incorrect that there were multiple places that had programs to do film. So I don't. So anyway, I went to North Carolina, UNC at Wilmington because uh, Wilmington is I don't know how big it is now, but it was such at that time kind of a thriving um film tv industry they shot a lot of tv there dawson's creek one tree hill um i'm sure there's more i don't remember <laughs> they shot some movies down there they'd shot part of the original ninja turtles in a studio in wilmington they wilmington was like i think the part of the crow was shot there on a studio like so new line was using it i think like so wilmington was like a good place to be but <laughs> i had gone i was like i gotta go to film school because i want to make movies and i went to one semester i was very homesick so i was five hours away from home and i was with someone at the time that i was like madly in love with because i was 18 and i was like i can't be away from them and just kind of bailed after i also felt like it was weird because it was like everybody there seemed to know each other because it all came from like the same two cities nearby and i felt very kind of like outcast and like um just was not my scene i was not a partier never have been and like that was a little not like too much of a party school, but it seemed like everybody wanted to do, and I was just not into it. It was a lot of factors, a lot of, and I the, the a main factor I think was that uh, I was taking a film class, and the 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 uh, professor, I don't, he made documentaries or something, but he seemed to be so into documentary filmmaking that he just it's all he wanted to talk about, and it was frustrating because I feel like anybody want to talk about like, you know narrative movies he was like ah but documentaries are the best form it's like what and then i'll never forget he brought in three women three women in the film industry it was near the end of the first semester um it was like for women in filmmaking conversation and this panel of women and man they laid it out like i've never heard anybody lay it out before 
where they were like how hard that business is. I think one was like a costume designer. One was maybe like something to do with sets or lighting. And one was like the assistant director. I didn't remember all the jobs, but they did different jobs in the film industry. And one lady was like, yeah, I went to Arizona to shoot some movie for like six months. Didn't see my family. Uh, the movie, nobody saw the movie. It was like a waste of time. <laughs> like I was like, oh, and they just, I mean, they just like laid it on. They completely de-glamorized the film industry. And I felt like I watched everybody around me's face like drop. Oh, that's so like, sad. We were, I mean, I kind of appreciate it because like then after that, I heard so many more stories about how hard it is to make it in the film industry. What like, these ladies are saying they've been in there for years and years. And they're still not working on like major studio features. They're working on like little independent movies. Like, um, and I felt like it was a good, like realistic wake up call. Cause I think, you know, if we're listening to like, the Tarantino story, we think, oh, it's so easy. You just, you know, makes write some good scripts, you pop right in, you're in the movie industry. You know, it's like you make one movie, you're in. Um, but they really laid it out there. And I felt like that was I was just like, well, I don't want to live like a nomad. Like that's really not my style. Um, to like go around different be away from my family and friends for months on a, a time and and do this and work 18 hour days. And I was like, that's just not that's not me. And I'm like, I, I'm just not committed to doing that. So um all that then i was like all right i think the film thing's not gonna work out but but now i get to talk about movies which is kind of i think what i really want to do the whole time like because i did tell people i wanted to be a movie critic as a kid because of roger ebert he was my guy and i was like i want to be roger ebert and uh so now i kind of get to just talk about movies which is i think satisfying enough for me <laughs> did you get an opportunity to write reviews for like a local school paper or anything of that nature no, no, the, I don't think we'd had a school paper, actually. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted to write for my local paper called the Virginia Pilot because we had a movie critic and they feel bad because he just passed away recently named Mal Vincent, who I disagreed with constantly. Like, I remember reading the paper and reading movie reviews and being so pissed at him all the time because I felt like he hated every movie I was hyped on. Like, um, I, I can't even think of like, probably Mission Impossible 2 or any of these like you know, movies I thought were super cool and awesome. And he would just like not be into it. And I just t t did not like him. And I was like, I got to replace Mel Vincent. He's old. Get him out of here. <laughs> and uh, and he did. I, the older I get, I realized he was probably a pretty good film critic because he hosted like a local film festival every year. And I would see the lineup and be like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. But I, it was just me being like a stubborn kid. Was like, this guy's not cool and hip. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> like, um, uh, and the, I wrote for a site very briefly um, before I started the podcast. And I am totally blanking the name of the site. They just started. Oh, my God. I can't remember. It's probably, but I, I don't want to shame them. So I won't even say the name of the site. But um, the guy that ran it was a guy I knew on Instagram. And was asking for people to write for him. And I said, I, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, there was no pay involved. <laughs> and on there, I wrote a couple of things I was kind of proud of. Um, I think one was like right about like movies specific to a location or uh, like a city or a place. And I think I wrote about Blood Simple. And I was pretty proud of that. And but then <laughs> the break happened when he asked for a piece on like favorite or best first films from filmmakers i think and i was like looking at the list and i saw 
there was Reservoir Dogs on the list. And I was like, oh, my God, how are we going to not have a Reservoir Dogs? It's Tarantino. It's Reservoir Dogs. It's a great debut. And I go to him and he goes, uh, I'm looking at the IMDb page. And it looks like his first movie is called My Best Friend's Birthday. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like that movie never got released. It's not like that is not officially his first movie. And he fought me on this. And we went back and forth. And he's like, well, I don't just pick somebody else. And I was like, OK, well. So it was a stupid thing, but I was just so frustrated. I was like, that's dumb. It was like, it's not his first movie. So then I just never worked with him again. So that was, I, I, you know, then I went to Letterboxd and just write random reviews there. I went to school uh, in, in uh, Illinois State University. And when I first went there, I was going to be a gym teacher for some reason. Like, I think I just like made up some bullshit in order to get into the school. And I just was like, couldn't do the science stuff so i switched to uh broadcast production and i would do some video art classes and (laughs) Uh now i realized that a i have no i couldn't be a filmmaker because i could barely do a terrible short video uh Uh the only time i was ever good was in the film studies class uh that we were doing like uh film noir that was like the only class i was good at like i really was just like such a big movie fan but yeah, there was nothing that I could ever do in the in the the business for it mm-hmm. so like it's kind of fun that like now I'm like doing like these shows or like talking online and stuff because now it just feels like you know what I'm glad that I went through all those experiences because you know it, it just reaffirmed the, the idea that that even though I may not be like great at the movie stuff, like making movies or whatever, I still know what I'm talking about and I still enjoy doing it. So I'm glad that the poor experience that I had, or maybe not the best experience you had in school, didn't ruin your love of movies. Oh yeah, no. It, well, it's, it's funny. I, I I was a little discouraged for a couple of years afterwards, and I kind of felt like I fell out of love with movies a little bit. Like I would still go to the movies. It wasn't like, but I became kind of that more casual movie watcher i felt like but um it was i think like my mom gave me a book for christmas in like 2015 where it was like a thousand and one movies see before you die that book they update all the time or whatever and uh i was like oh man yeah i used to really like really really love movies and i should probably get back into that because i was like and it felt right. That's like the thing. I'm like, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I really love. Like I was trying to think get into other things in between. Like, Oh, I'm, I, I love music. I was watching a lot of sports. Like I'm not a sports guy. What am I doing? I was like, I was trying to be like, I love sports, but like, I don't love them that much. And, um, music and like, I, but I'm like movies is my real true love, my true passion. And that started off that book and like being like, Oh, I just like movies, buying movies again, watching way more stuff, getting more into it again. Um, and started the Instagram page and connecting with people who love movies. So, um, yeah, I mean, that all just, it, so there was like a period where I was, I was definitely not as heavy into it as I am nowadays, but after the film school thing, but it wasn't like, Oh, I hate movies now. You know, it was just kind of like, I'm not as passionate as I once was. I think that's cool that your mom got you that book. Uh, because I had that, like one of those editions of that one too. And I just like, there used to be this Leonard Malton book of his reviews and you flip through like the 2000 pages and it'd be all these movies and you're like oh i want to see that one i see that one and that really kind of got me to start watching more movies that i might not normally have have watched you know so you're oh, it yeah. sounds like your 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 mom kind of pushed you back into loving movies which i think is cool 
she did very like inadvertently she was like, this is random she's like i know you loved movies and i bought you this book um and it worked out and it was funny because years before so like probably when i was getting into movies early 2000s every christmas i feel like i would get the roger ebert great movies books and there's like four volumes of those and those were really crucial that i don't think i mentioned anywhere is like how crucial the roger ebert great movie books were to my like love of movies because um I love his style that it's like it's very informative and very, very intelligent. But he, I don't think he ever talked down in the reviews some most of the time. Sometimes he <laughs> get a little on his high horse about certain issues. But um, I just love the way he talked about movies. And he was very passionate and could really go to bat for a movie that he really thought was fantastic. And uh, so that, those were actually a big deal, too, was those great movie books. And uh, yeah, and his writing about movies. So um yeah, little things can go a long way in, in making you uh, passionate about something. <laughs> I love Ebert, but there's a funny thing about him. I was in this phase where I was definitely very snarky about <laughs> like things like uh, movies or like I was doing a lot of pro wrestling stuff and I would do oh. some writings and <laughs> I would get people, I would get in trouble just because I was trying to be like the funny snarky guy. And a lot uh-huh. of that has to do with his I hated, 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 hated this movie book. Oh, I had that book. I love that book. I had that it's book. It's so too. great. But like, I was like, yeah, this is how you do things. You just, you just shit on a movie and everyone laughs. laughs. And now I'm just, I, I'm like, like, I don't want to be that negative about it. I mean, you know, sometimes if your job is to do a review and a movie stinks, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But <laughs> I, I look at it now, I'm just like, they're fun to read, but like, I don't want to be that person. But I used to totally be that way. Yeah, I, when, I mean, when he wanted to go in on a movie, he could really go in on a movie because, I mean, it's different for us. We don't we're not forced to see every single movie that comes out um, like we kind of pick and choose a little more. So I feel that but his job was to be the critic for uh, Chicago sometimes. That's OK. I always mix up the other paper, but like yeah, he sometimes. had to. Yeah, he had to go see every single movie. So I could imagine there was times when he just like reached a boiling point and saw something so bad to him that he just could not contain himself and like i mean at least the the silver lining in that to i mean or the i guess the positive fun thing is that they were always really well written i thought <laughs> like he would just it was like poetry it was like his his reviews of bad movies i mean he just there was like a kind of a glee i it, it is kind of mean i think we know now like you shouldn't be that mean like because making movies is hard people try almost all the time <laughs> there's sometimes i feel like people don't give a shit but most of the time people are trying to make a good movie um and sometimes it doesn't work out for whatever reason or another, but they are very entertaining to read. I will say that. So, but yes. I don't like to be that negative either. But he just he saw so many movies. I just imagine sometimes he just like couldn't help himself. The other question I have, I, I'm curious about that Instagram page that you did, and like, what was the idea behind doing that? Were you just posting pictures of like movie posters and being like, "This movie is good," like, because I have an Instagram for <laughs> yeah. my web for my podcast, and I barely know how to use it oh yeah i mean uh it's weird instagram has changed a lot since like 2015 2016 um it used to be way more simple it was like it was like take a photo of something and put like a filter on it you're done like you know like people would take a picture of an old swing and like put a black and white filter and it's like oh you know but now it's like i think it's so much more involved than it used to be um i think i started off like posting what movies i was watching and put like a poster and maybe like a little review and then I got away from that. And then I kind of people were just posting movies they bought or movies they had. That's mostly what I do now is just um, I, I don't use it nearly as much. It's not as fun. 
I think they've messed with the algorithms and things, and it's like people don't see your post as much. There's just so much shit on there now. There's like ads and <laughs> all kinds of stuff in the way. Um, but when I do post, it's usually like I just got these movies in, like, or I have this movie I'm gonna watch. Here's the picture of the Blu-ray. Like people love seeing pictures of movies, Blu-rays posted. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like I, they uh you know, they just like seeing physical copies. It's a huge thing on there. There's people that literally who have huge followings who I did just post movies and they're like, oh, look what's out now. The Superman 4K set. They get sent up early. So, um, yeah, now and for a while, it's just been like mostly physical copies of movies for whatever reason it may be to post them, you know. I found that when I first started a couple years ago during the pandemic with social media, like, um, that's when I really started to get different uh, friendships and whatnot. Cause we all had all that particular time. It really didn't take long for social media to just get worse. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. Uh -huh. It used to be like, you were talking about Instagram being easier. Now it's more complicated. Like it's just, it's like, I guess when something becomes too popular, somebody wants to go mess with it. It's really kind of a shame. Yeah. And they want to make more money off it. So they're like, how can we jam more ads in here? You know, it's like, um, I see more ads on Twitter nowadays than I used to Instagram, like every second or third post you scroll down as an ad. It's like, uh, and it used to not be that way. It used to just be, I think it was usually just like just people you followed in their pictures and it was very streamlined and it's gotten like way crazier, but there's money to be made. So they gotta, they gotta make more money. It's always the, it's always the deal. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad though that uh, at least we had that experience going online and and making that community because when I like when I was growing up it was the infancy of the internet so there was some community but it's it was totally different so it's pretty it's pretty cool oh. now that we have this uh, way to connect with each other and I think that's going to help whatever the the future is for social video it's it's going to help young people who want to get into the industry to carve like their own kind of path. And I think it's going to be a lot more community-based perhaps. Yeah. It'll be interesting yeah. It, to does, see. it does feel more accessible. Like everything, there's more avenues to write about movies now. I mean, when I was a kid, even this is not that long ago, I like to think like 20 -ish years ago, like you had to be writing for like a newspaper or be the, tv um movie guy like gene shallots or something you, know, you had to be like talk about movies that so you you could i guess you could have a blog but it's like who's reading it um on your geo cities page or so you know it's like who's really seen this and uh i mean i, I don't want to give them any credit or anything but i i feel like uh the first kind of page i remember going to that was like felt different was ain't it cool news uh, you know, nothing good really to say about Harry Knowles, but uh, just I remember thinking like, oh, like normal people, your quotes could make could make a living outside of the avenues of newspapers and TV and start like a website that actually is like people go to it and it gets traffic. Um, but now I feel like yeah, with social media, it's so much easier um to find the opportunities and connect people, and which is a good thing, and it's easier to make movies now. I talked to. Lindsay Wilkins, our friend on her show about um, the documentary American Movie. Have you seen that movie? I actually have never seen it. You'd be surprised oh. at movies I haven't seen, by the way. So we'll just... <laughs> I hadn't seen it until like last year, so don't feel bad. But it's a great documentary. This guy wants to make a movie. 
it's I think it's 99, but it was made a few years before. It's like mid 90s. So he is doing everything. No money. He's making it with a film. He's editing, cutting the film. And I thought, man, this guy's life would have been so much easier if he was born like 20 years later and was doing this like now because digital digital editing like it'd be there's not the expensive film having to go had to go to like a college to cut the film like it's like so much harder than it, it would be now I'm not saying it's not like it's easy now but the barriers to entry i think have lowered a lot on so um so it's a lot easier for anybody to be like oh i'll grab my iphone and go try to make something you know so um yeah i you know which is a good thing people have more chances to make things so that's always good and that's why we're here we're this is our space to make something, even if it's just exactly. a podcast talking about movies. It is something that someone could listen to this show and be like, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. Let me go watch that. You never know. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. That's um, just so much more stuff. And yeah, I mean, like, I never thought I could have a podcast. When I was a kid. They didn't exist. So I never, you know, it was never a possibility when I was younger. Um so it's very crazy. Like when I talked to uh, our buddy Mike Scott very early on in my show, we're talking about the killer and hard boiled. I never thought I have a chance to talk about those movies anywhere because first of all, it was like when I found them, it felt like they were very unknown and very unseen. Um, but how you will hear about them. And then like to have a platform to talk about them with someone who loves them too is like one of those moments where like this is crazy, but it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very, very cool. Um, so we're very lucky. I think yes, just yeah. to have this sort of this outlet to do stuff and it and it really it was funny too because it came out of a time that was pretty miserable for a lot of people and yeah, that I yeah. think it really helped helped me like listening to your show and Dan's and Lindsay's and everyone's show you know just kind of uh, inspires which made things a lot easier to deal with. That's very nice to hear. That does <laughs> that means a lot. The show actually was helping people, so that's good. So I just never think of it's so weird thing. People tell me to listen to the show because to me it still feels like like a thing I'm doing as a hobby, and I guess it still is. But like, um, yeah, no, it's just it's kind of surreal. Like, oh, people listen to this, <laughs> but I always appreciate it. And uh, no, I it's it's kind of mind blowing. Anybody listens to me talk about movie, <laughs> so it's it's very cool though, and I do appreciate you saying that. <laughs> All right, so before we go, I do have to ask everyone. That I have on my show this question. I assume you have physical media. How yes. do you organize them? Okay. Uh, a to Z, alphabetical, A to Z. Uh, I do kind of break out a couple things. I think the only, although I think the only two labels that I separate couldn't be farther apart. It's criterion and vinegar syndrome. <laughs> and I don't know why those are the two I, cho- I chose to separate, but. Um, yeah, they're the criterions at the top of the thing altogether. A to Z, everything else, then vinegar syndrome altogether. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty. I can't do it any other way. I don't know. Like, I couldn't make anything else work besides alphabetical. So, <laughs> but how does that work when you have sequels? Like, do you, is it do you keep like Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back separate from each other, or do you kind of? cheat a little bit good question uh, <laughs> I, I think in that case because that doesn't happen i kind of i wish i could go look at my shelf right now but uh th- that's when because usually the sequels are like house one house two house three or so you know but like star wars is a good example um in those rare cases i will still keep those things together because i know if i go to look 
for Star Wars, like, and I find Empire right next to it, that's that feels right to me. You know, I don't want Empire up by itself and then return all the way, you know, like, so in those rare cases, I will keep those series together. <laughs> but I find it interesting when I ask this question a lot. And the one thing that's most interesting is how little people do alphabet alphabetical. I know. I don't understand. <laughs> like, I, I don't. I don't know any other way to do it. Like, I hear other ways to do it. And I'm like, I could never. I could never do that. Um, like, I, I have all it. my movies are just like thrown together. There's no. I'll have like here's my Hong Kong movies together, but they're just thrown, not alphabetical, not by. Other than John Woo being together, they're just there. Though now that I think about it, I think I have some Jackie Chan that's chronological, because I like to know what was first. And then uh, the rest of my movies are just, it's a hodgepodge. It's just whatever wow. I put it back. So it's like a, a shuffle. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what to watch. I'll just close my eyes and pick out a movie. That's how You're I do it. You're on the racer's edge. Uh, no, I was like, I mean, that kind of sounds nice because half the time I don't know what to watch. So maybe if it was more randomized, I would just kind of go look and be like, sure, that caught my eye, you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I got to keep it organized. There's been times when, Things have not been organized on the shelf. And I go to look at the alphabetical and I'm like, where's, I can't think of an example. Where's this movie? And then I, I'm like, I must not own it. I go buy it. And then I find it later, like in the closet in a stack that never got out organized. I'm like, oh man, like I bought it twice. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, the chaos of collecting sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're still keeping physical media and buying them and doing, getting like the, the, vinegar syndrome stuff and boutique labels it's very good because those companies even like some that's larger like criterion are keeping a lot of movies alive that would have been lost by now yeah i mean i do my best it's my wallet it hurts my wallet quite a bit but i but i uh I, it's like the it's, it's like the one thing i collect like the one i don't spend a lot of money on i try to think random stuff people spend money on i don't even know it's like the one thing i really feel like i spend money on so um I don't feel too guilty about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just nice to have the stuff. Um, and sometimes I think about paring down the collection, but then I'm like, ah, no, I can't. I can't do it. But I have tried to slow down a little bit. I'm just blind buying stuff. But but then new stuff comes out. I'm like, I got to have that. So I can't see anywhere else. I got to buy the Blu-ray. But um, that is why I like collecting, just to kind of preserve these things. And these companies are doing great work with these physical releases. So I really want to like own them and like, support the labels. So yeah, I have <laughs> I have a good amount. I probably could do for a little less, but I, I you know, I'm just trying to uh, not go overboard. <laughs> so, you know, it's a balancing act. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So now we're at the time of the show where it's plugging time. So for those who don't know where to find your show and where to find you online, where would they go? Okay, so uh, you can find the Film Feast podcast, I think, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, just type in Film Feast. It should be there. Um, I think we're covering all our bases with, uh, like, Anchor and Spotify and Apple and any – I feel like I've got it all – I think i got it all covered. Um, we usually drop new episodes every Monday. Uh, I've gotten pretty good recently about being on point about, you know, every Monday. There was a time where I was kind of like – Oh, we're taking this week off. We're back. But I've been pretty good for a while about Monday you're getting an episode. Um, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, you could follow it on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. You could follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. And you could follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. 
Um, and I think that pretty much covers all of it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, Matt, listen, I really appreciate you doing my show. I love your show. I'm glad that you're still doing it after all this time. And I've, I, I hope people go and also give it a listen because it's a lot of fun. Every time I listen to it, I just I laugh a bunch, and it's always entertaining. So I really appreciate oh, you doing it. Thank you very much. I really, I really appreciate you saying that. That I'm entertaining anybody is good. <laughs> it's like, because uh, half the time I feel like I'm just goofing off for my own amusement. So that's nice to hear. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I try to have a very conversational, like, hangout vibe on the show. So um, yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying. It. People are enjoying it. And thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, you're welcome. And uh, I hope everybody listening has a good night. Thanks. <laughs>